Heavy Hops is a Scorched Tundra production. You can access all our episodes with detailed show notes and information about upcoming events by visiting scorchedtundra.com slash heavy hops. Be sure to follow us on your preferred social media platform. Subscribe, leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access podcasts. Thanks for supporting us and enjoy the show. These times for me were, of course, special, not seen of, oh, the 80s, because I didn't realize back then which part in the history the 80s will have. For me, it was normal. I didn't know any other surrounding. I grew up there and I came into the scene. Welcome to Heavy Hops. My name is Alexi. Joining us this week is German multi-instrumentalist Dave Schmidt. He is a pillar in the modern psychedelic music scene. His projects Electric Moon, Zone 6, Kraut Zone, as well as his solo work, released under the name Solo Busana, are essential listening for anyone looking to open their mind and reach the outer galaxies. His label, Solotron Records, sits at the convergence of neo-psychedelic, kraut rock, ambient electronic, and progressive rock in a normal year, releasing a prolific amount of records for a one-person operation. We discuss improvisation in heavy music, Dave's experience growing up in Berlin in the 1980s, playing in non-traditional venues, such as the Planetarium in Bauckham, where I first saw Electric Moon, his collaboration with Portuguese cosmic explorer Talia Yakta, and what he's been up to with his numerous musical projects during the last year and a half. You'll find links to Dave's project and label in the episode notes, as well as a killer video of Electric Moon performing at Freak Valley Festival in 2019. Let's dive and get heavy. Dave, welcome to Heavy Hops. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be with you at Heavy Hops. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, you've been playing some shows recently. Uh, when we were uh, when we were off the air, you mentioned uh, you mentioned a show that you had coming up, and you've also been in Vienna for Electric Moon. Uh, how can you how how can you sort of describe some of the experiences of playing live after having uh, a little bit of an absence? Yeah, of course, there's a very special energy when you when you did a break for so long and um, then you go up on stage and you are really hungry to make really loud noise and uh, bring it all out, which uh, was just um, added the last month in, in energy for for making live music and uh, especially the the electric moon gig maybe ten year, uh, ten days ago. Uh, was very good and we had a very cool energy on stage and were really listening to each other and made some really good jams for my taste. And that was very nice. I had some some experience of live playing before that. I was in Vienna some weeks earlier to do an Intercosmos recording session and a live concert. And that was uh, also very nice because we haven't met in this combination for 12 years. And it was really amazing to to meet, check out the instruments, and then play a concert yeah? <laughs> <laughs> without any rehearsing or proper. We tried to rehearse a little, but it was not not so long, and also it was late. And, and next day was concert, and it was pretty exciting. And um, I was very uh, nervous, and we all were a bit nervous. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it turned out well. So we had our joy and fun. And also there was at one point there was a, um, the power went off completely. So uh, some some kind of fuse blows or something. 
And uh, after a while, we went on. It was such a funny atmosphere in the in the venue. People were laughing and clapping and joking around with the with the dark room and no sound anymore and stuff like this. You know, <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. Yeah, we will go on with concerts next. Not not many. Only two left this year. But uh, anyway. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a pretty incredible uh, experience of when you were describing sort of meeting uh, some members you know, for Intercosmos, maybe not having seen them for a long time, and certainly not uh, being in the room uh, rehearsing very frequently, and then going on stage uh, after a power outage in the in the venue. I mean, talk about uh, some interesting sorts of uh, sorts of circumstances. Because there's a level of improvisation to the music that you uh, that you perform, does it make those other factors when they're off like a power outage or I mean, I guess like everyone's affected by COVID in some way when they're out uh, in this kind of context. But does that sort of change these other factors and how sort of important they become? For us, we were so into um trying to get a nice uh, music happening on stage. We were not thinking about uh, COVID or other things very much. I must say we were very much um, in our thoughts with ourselves. And there were many people we know, and it was quite uh, weird to meet so many people after a long time of silence here on the countryside. And then suddenly in Vienna in the big city and, and talking to many people. And, and it was a bit overwhelming. So I was happy to... <laughs> to escape to stage and make some music. <laughs> <laughs> and um, that was pretty nice. So um, I, I wasn't thinking much about all this stuff because it was enough to, to think about anyway. And uh, it was quite full. It was limited or restricted to maybe half of the venue normally, half of the people. Um, but... Uh, it felt very nice. So people were dancing, they had space to dance and it was so cool. And uh, 10 days ago at the Electric Moon concert, it was uh, even open air and there was more space and more people and it was very nice. That is an interesting sort of idea that people actually having space instead of being uh, being crowded uh, fits the music and fits kind of the way that the music can take hold of people and what it can do to them. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. The most most uh, important thing for us is to get in, in touch with the people, to get an energy, some kind of a circle thing running. People influencing us, we influence them. And so it's, it can be really ecstatic and really uh, a complete experience for everyone in a, in a similar way. Crowd and the band, very connected. And that was actually and at both concerts in, in Vienna. It was really nice, was really pushing. So people were hungry for live music and loud music and spontaneous uh, stuff going on, I guess. And this may be a little difficult to describe, but I'm curious as to you were talking about sort of this back and forth of energy that you get when you're performing and that you sort of feel from uh, from the audience that it becomes uh, circular. How much does that impact you in terms of like how you're uh, how you're performing? Because there is a level of kind of uh, improvisation and living in a moment that's different from playing material that's entirely and like rigidly rehearsed. 
Yes, of course. It's uh, very important when we play in front, uh, in a big hall in front of just a few people who are not really interested or so. We had it once at the, at the Stoner Rock Festival where we thought, why do we play here for this few people? And I don't know, some of them or most of them seem not really be into it. So we felt a bit helpless and lost on space <laughs> on stage. And uh, that's directly going into the creativity. So it wasn't a good concert. We, we had not the power and the possibility to connect to these few people and, and get high with them together. So it was like playing behind a curtain or something, a curtain. We were not connected to these people and that was a horrible concert finally for us. We tried to give our best, but it was not really enjoyable for us. It was like, okay, let's bring it behind us and then leave. <laughs> Yeah, but that's not very often, I must say. And the, the last concerts this year were really, really nice. Maybe maybe the people were too, um, had too much possibilities in the past. And sometimes they were just uh, saturated with impressions and music and stuff like this, that they were not open uh, enough to, to connect with the stuff what's going on on stage. So now the people are really open for it and, and really want it. You know? So it's, I think it's a, it's a good time for every band who's uh, going back to stage and starting again and get a lot of nice energy and, and feelings. I think that's, a, that's an interesting assessment and that there certainly was a saturation in live music and live opportunities. And certainly, you know, nothing slowed down in terms of the creative output of groups that are releasing material. And so it has been interesting for uh, for myself as a music fan to go to shows and to see people kind of experiencing this thing for the first time in a long time. And that there is an energy that comes that is very different from maybe attending like, you know, if we were to go to one show a week or two shows a week, you end up looking more and more like the person with their arms crossed in the back than someone that's like taking in uh, the show because you've been restricted from experiencing music in that way for so long. So th that is all the more reason that I imagine that the music that you're sort of creating where there's a level of improvisation and uniqueness uh, to the moment and to the, the show that allows for people to sort of latch onto, onto that uh, in a really different way than music that they may be seeing that is highly rehearsed or that they've seen online and that they know by heart. Yeah, of course, because in, in our music in intercosmos and in, in electric moon, of course, too, it's almost completely improvised. So we, we may have themes we start with and then let's see where it uh, takes us. And this is really dangerous and it can really <laughs> become bad sometimes. <laughs> if the energy is right and, and the setting is nice and everything. Uh, and in, in Vienna, 10 days ago, we had full moon and that's always working best with electric moon. Uh, the full moon concerts are always the best. Mm -hmm. and that was one of them for my taste, at least. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, uh, yeah I can. I, I mean, is, there's no other circumstance to see Electric Moon than with a full moon, I would imagine, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not always easy to organize. But <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely not. No, <laughs> that's awesome. So uh, I want to 
uh, talk a little bit about some of the studio work or kind of recorded music maybe that you've been you've been working on because you've you've recently moved and you have a little more uh, space and uh, to create music at home. And so that's affected your your output a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the two Sulabasana um, sort of sessions you've done, the CV sessions and then the loop station drones? It's, it's not uh, really more space for making music. It's more small rooms this time in this house here and, and not one big room, which is uh, not so good for my taste. I like it when it's all close together and easy to use. And now I must uh, think the drum set is in the first floor and the keyboards are on the ground floor. So it's a bit stupid sometimes, but um, it was a personal um, decision to move here. And uh, that was more the... The impression, my my private uh, circumstances were more the, the the reason to make the songs and, and to let my feelings out and to uh, not easy to talk in English <laughs> for me. It's not the perfect house for make music here. The the last one was much better, but um, that's what comes out. Easy stuff, simply made. A lot of improvisation, very few themes, not a proper song at all, but. Um, really nice energy in it for my taste. And I, I, I'm happy I, I started it just to, to make recordings without any plan and see what comes out. And that was a very interesting thing for me. And it's also <laughs> for me, I'm, I'm surprised and uh, yeah, surprised by myself, by my output to make two double vinyls <laughs> in one year and some months. <laughs> it's not bad without a proper plan, you know. <laughs> So I had my uh, lots of fun with making the songs or this music, and if other people enjoy it too, I'm I'm very happy about. It. And especially CD sessions, which is out on on CD and double vinyl, got some feedback, some reactions of people, and it was very nice. So that's good. Loop station drones is a bit too fresh to get proper feedback from people, and it's only on Bandcamp so far. So I don't know what people really think, but um, for me, it's absolutely worth. I like it. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Uh, you know, as of uh, as of this recording, I think it's uh, within a week uh, a week of release. Uh, one of the tracks, I believe, the opening track was recorded for uh, the Roadburn Redux, which occurred earlier this year. Um, how did that, how did that, uh, opportunity sort of, uh, sort of come about and, uh, Roadburn is a, an event that you've performed at, uh, multiple times. How did you feel, uh, sort of contributing in, in this manner? Walter got in touch with me, Walter, the, the main booker or whatever it's called and from the Roadburn Festival, a very nice guy. Uh, he just wrote me a message that he will do the Redux and asked for some, uh, previews of coming albums or whatever there is in the pipeline if they can promote it in any way and I was very happy about it and uh, was sending him a one track of an album which will be out in November, hopefully uh, made by Electric Moon together with uh, Talia Jacta from Portugal. We played as a five-piece band together, jammed together and live at the Sabotage in this uh, Lisbon and um, luckily someone recorded it and we, we do this record and I sent him the shortest track for a preview or what is it called, premiere or something. And he was very happy. And then I, I was sleeping about this 
possibility some nights and then I asked him if it would be okay to make a song for him for for the three dots and he was very happy and I recorded the song and I'm <laughs> so happy that he, he gave me the op opportunity to to do it to be part of it because I'm not the typical roadburn style with my music it, it's a bit on the edge to to other stuff Walter likes the music and I'm very happy about it and uh, I took part and then I decided to to do more in this direction and I I did some little kind of rehearsals for the recording setup because it was new in, in the upper floor room and on the Loop Station Drones album you, you can hear two more songs from the same evening. Yeah, that's the story with the Roadburn thing. And uh, how quickly did sort of did some of the other material that comprises the Loop Station Drones come about? Was it sort of like a faucet was opened and more creative output came out once you sort of had some energy behind moving in that direction and working in your new spaces? Um, actually, I, I took the, the chance to combine two different things that uh, happened. The, the first one is the roadburn thing and the second one is um, I got an um, invitation by a US radio station, KFJC, in Wow, where is it? Uh, near Los Angeles or San Francisco somewhere. <laughs> I forgot. I'm not good prepared. Um, Los Altos Hills. Don't ask me where it is. Sounds like California um, to me. Yeah, definitely California. <laughs> and lovely people who run it and a great radio station. And they, they played a lot of my music and they, they asked for a kind of live stream. And it was not really possible uh, to do with a proper band. So we did a little test with a friend who is a very good uh, camera editor and technique freak. So he, he um, came here for two days and recorded some sessions I did with his cameras. And I used the same setup as the Rogue One Haze song and improvised for two even evenings and had horrible technical problems on the first day. So not much came out on the first day. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I recorded, or we recorded four kind of tracks, and three went into this uh, home stream for Radio KFJC. It was not a live stream, but uh, it was live recorded and then streamed two weeks later or something. And these fitted perfectly for this. And then I added the two rehearsal tracks to the album, and then was it done? Seven tracks in three days. So it was a very fast album. And you've also uh, gone back with some of the Electric Moon uh, material and you've done a remaster phase. And that's a, a earlier material from the, the band's catalog. How does it feel to sort of revisit material, whether it's in in the context uh, of that or the Sula Basana box set? Oh, these are very, very different things from from the um from the concept the face is some kind of um uh, a view to the first decade of electric moon the first 10 years and contains um stuff that was already released uh, a few of them only on single and sampler tracks stuff like this added on this two cd set also and uh yeah it's always makes proud when you when you have something like that in your hands, you know, the first decade, uh, you have a collection of songs from not one song from each album already, because our songs are always so long. 
that you can't <laughs> mix too many <laughs> for a normal physical uh, release. So when I hear these tracks, I must say I'm, I'm very proud about them because it's for, for me still wonderful music when I hear it. And, and the good thing is also when you do the music so fast, when you improvise and produce it right the next days after a recording and add some little bits here and there and do some cuts and mix it. And then you hear the final result and, and, and think, yeah, that's cool. And when you now, 10 years later, hear it and you still think it's cool, that's a good feeling. Mm -hmm. and I, think it about all the all the tracks so that's very nice and we'll be out on vinyl also later this year in december because pressing plants are totally full we are at 11 months for pressing at the moment <laughs> it was a it was a good thing you got the uh solo basana box set out when you did in that case uh, otherwise it'd be uh quite quite a wait for something of that size too that's not a um not a view back to to whatever first 15 years or so of, of Sula Basana, it's, it's a collection of stuff that wasn't really um, released before. Most of the stuff, let's say five of, what is it? No, it's three double LPs. So it's six LPs. Yeah. Five of the six LPs are never before on, on vinyl released songs. And the six LP is uh, two sides each or one side each of two split LPs I did in the past. So these were already released, but only in 500 issues, very small ones. And uh, the rest was completely new, but uh, not new, but uh, only Bandcamp albums or CDRs so far. But I added a lot of bonus tracks. I, I made specially in this mood for these albums to, to make them proper double vinyls and not only three-sided double LPs. And uh, that was quite a big project for me and it turned out very well for my taste. So the music fits, the people love it and the, the graphic is cool. And I am very, very happy and very proud that the, the guy from Panchromatic Records in Norway asked me if I would like to do a LP box set. That's one of the dream every musician has, I guess. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I was so happy. And then I started the vinyl one and decided to do a CD one on my label too, just to get it for the people who prefer to buy CDs, especially with um, very soft music and, and quiet music, which is a lot on this LP set on and CD set. And you do find that people still want compact discs, and is it is it something that you feel is specific for music of a certain weight, uh, as you sort of alluded to? It's hard to say because I don't know how, how other people, how their collecting style is or something. I'm happy that I can still sell some CDs, but the, the um, sales go low these days. CD is not really in focus of people. They, they buy vinyl or digital and CDs are running out a bit. Uh, I'm, I'm very sad because CDs bring to a label or to a band who's uh, releasing themselves uh, CD sales bring much more money than vinyl sales because when vinyl is the, I don't know, six times price when you, when you press one and it's just a few bucks more when you sell them. Yeah? So CDs was a nice way to survive or, or buy new instruments or whatever, paying the rent for the rehearsal room or whatever. But this nice opportunity is gone a bit. Yeah. 
makes me very sad. I hope, or I wish people would buy more CDs again. That is an interesting perspective that the margins between uh, what an artist or in your case, like a, a label or, or a mail order as well can make on vinyl versus uh, compact discs are, are pretty different. And also now mm-hmm. with the, um, with, as you alluded to sort of a backlog in the production and manufacturing of vinyl mm-hmm. and the relative, the comparative ease of compact discs um, in terms of being able to make them, whether it's on your own, or I'm sure there's companies eager to press uh, compact discs at this point, that it is a little bit of a, of a shame that that medium has really sort of fallen by the, by the wayside over the last couple of years. Yeah, exactly. That's that's not a good view into the future, especially with the long pressing times. And then they always get delayed too. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also on top, yeah. when you send them around for promotion or for for customers, you always must pack it more safe. You must pay the more expensive uh, shipping cardboards. The postage is higher. Everything is is more boring when you when you try to get 500 records out compared to 500 CDs that's much more easy and, and you make really money with it yeah. but um, that's it that's the times and no other way possible at the moment yeah. during 2020 uh, you were able to stay relatively active with uh, with Solotron records uh, your label and some of the stuff that uh, and I was actually a customer. I purchased some stuff that I was really happy to see uh, see it active. There was the Permanent Clear Light, the Sundial album, which I enjoyed a lot personally. Estrada Orchestra, and of course your own your own material. How sort of uh, as I sort of mentioned, this is while like a lot of other labels maybe sort of shifted their schedules around or just stopped putting material out altogether. With some of these groups that you work with, you seem to have sort of like a personal relationship with and certainly some level of respect uh, creatively. Is it important for you to have sort of a personal relationship with the groups that you are working with? Yes, of course. It's also a fun thing to do it because to be honest, most releases of my own sell better than the, the other bands I, I put on my label. Not most, but it, it's really hard sometimes to get the, the CDs and LPs out of the other bands. And because they don't play live that much, maybe, or are fresh in the scene or disappear after the release. So no sales at concerts or whatever. That must bring me fun and joy in a way. And I, I want to, to get in touch with, with people I like when I like their music a lot. And then I, I get in touch with them. Is there's might be there something left for releasing or whatever and start to, to have a chat and find out this person is not really my taste. Also, then I, I, I don't show more interest anymore. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when I, when I have a good communication to, to this bands, I, uh, I enjoy them working with them and releasing stuff. And, and when the music is 100% my taste and I can stand behind it fully, it's it's very cool to to do stuff like this. The promotion I do completely. I don't have a promo agency uh, I, oh, who's doing the promotion. So I do all that too and must talk to the magazine people and to the podcast people and to the 
internet people um, how important it is to to um, review this album because it's so good and I can't do can never do it when it's not really good music or I know the band is really asshole and it's so hard to, to connect them for an interview because you know ooh, that will be not so nice or whatever so I'm, I'm happy that I, I found a I don't know pool or a pair of people a bunch of people around me with these bands like Seven Last Bells Sherpa Misha Panfilov from Centre Musa and Estrada Orchestra and I don't know Sundial, Gary Raman, fantastic people and fantastic music. And I'm so proud that I can release this music you know, on my small label. And it's working well and, and he's satisfied, I guess. You know. So it's most of these contacts became friendships really, you know, or people became friends. And that's good to know. Yeah, it, it definitely adds, a, knowing the musician adds a, a lot of color to the music that you hear them produce as well. So what is sort of on the horizon for uh, for Solotron? What are some of those things that you're maybe having to wait 11 months for that are excited, that are <laughs> exciting for you? <laughs> yeah, I have already... Um two releases planned for this year he, he uh, who will be out next year so one I'm happy I, I got into this year uh, hopefully uh, it will be delivered in, in November is this uh, record with Electric Moon and Talia Jakta together as one band it will be out on vinyl and CD and in December I was hoping for but it will not be happen <laughs> in January January 2022 will be the release of the Farflang LP 25.000 feet. Oh, that's exciting. And what is the complete name? 25.000 feet. <laughs> I don't know the name now. Oh my God. 25.000 feet per second. Per second. Thanks a lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's the first, first release on vinyl ever of this fantastic debut album by Farfland 25 years ago and now on vinyl for the first time that makes me really proud and, and so happy because my favorite Farfland song is on this vinyl or my favorite from the old ones is on this vinyl it's called Landing on Sidonia such a fantastic trancey electronic space rock song yeah that's uh, planned for January and then later in I don't know in spring I can't tell it's it's in the plan for for months now but uh, it will come in spring the second album by Centre El Musa from Misha Pankilov's band and yeah then let's see I have several stuff of Sula Basana going on which will be out hopefully <laughs> it's not finished already Electric Moon's um, Stardust Rituals vinyl is sold out also. So I will do a repress of this, the sixth repress, I guess. So that's a fantastic running album. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, doing six pressings is uh, is pretty remarkable. Yeah, that's really our bestseller. Panchromatic will do some reissues also. Sula Basana's The Night will be on vinyl again also by end of the year. I hope. <laughs> mm -hmm. And Hugo Delia by Electric Moon, the live double album, double album will be out on, on vinyl also. And Nazoni Records has an album in the planned, which was planned for this year as an anniversary album, but <laughs> will be out next year in May or something. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, sadly, 
jetzt äh, Sudabasana and the Nazoni Pop Art Experimental Band Volume 1 LT, which came out 15 years ago and is long time sold out, will be available again. And it's the same, the same record was the 10 years Nazoni Records anniversary vinyl back then. And now it's the 25 years Nazoni anniversary <laughs> vinyl. <laughs> <laughs> but sadly in the 26th year so <laughs> but I'm very happy about this and uh, we made a new cover artwork and the vinyl will have the slightly longer version of the final track on the B-side compared to the old vinyl so very nice things to, to look at in the near future <laughs> yeah absolutely now uh, is it sort of when you actually do get these vinyls I've always sort of imagined the people that enjoy this kind of music are people that are sort of into owning like physical music, owning own whether it's a compact disc or uh, a vinyl record, like having a sort of a tactile experience uh, with the music where they can actually hold and feel and have a physical experience with the with the music and the sort of medium through which it's played. Is it still very hard to sell even just 500, not just, but to sell 500 copies when the audience is like very engaged and actually owning physical music? Not easy to say. Sometimes 500 copies went out fast and, and you are just surprised. And sometimes you think these 500 copies will sell fast and they take years. So it's not always easy to say, but for sure, Electric Moon is, is selling nice and I was surprised some Zone 6 albums went out very fast too. Suga Basana is okay. It's, there are a few albums who, who got reprints from time to time. Oh yeah, another one I will do next year is my 20 years anniversary of Dreamer, my first solo album that's out on Wax, uh, sold out on Wax since years. So it's uh, good to, to have another run coming then. So I will start this project next week to have it next year for sure. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Heavy Hops. We'll have more from Dave Schmidt in a minute. There are a few things happening in the world of Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra at the moment I want to share. You can find tickets to Scorched Tundra present shows, such as Yellow Eyes at Immortal Bird at The Empty Bottle on November 5th at scorchedtundra.com slash tickets. We've also created a crowdfunding source for all things Heavy Hops and Scorched Tundra. If you love what we do and want to support us, find the donate link in the episode notes and give what you'd like. Giving any amount will grant you access to our growing Discord community and an opportunity to contribute to making this show and Scorched Tundra content the best it can be. Thanks for this moment, and back to our conversation with Dave Schmidt. I want to sort of rewind a little bit and go back in, in time a little bit to sort of when you started playing music. And I'm also like a little, because you, you grew up in Berlin at sort of a unique time in Berlin's history. What was it like sort of growing up in Berlin in the eighties as sort of like an aspiring musician with everything that was happening, like socially and politically there? Yeah. When I, when I think back or see, um, documentaries about Berlin in the eighties and, and late seventies, where I started to, to explore the city and the music and stuff, then I feel a bit sad that the time changed so much. So Berlin was like a ruin in, in parts and, and especially in Kreuzberg, in this um, district, there were a lot of ruined houses from the Second World War with uh, 
holes in the walls or missing parts or missing roof or whatever. And it, it had a very special atmosphere. And that went away shortly after I discovered it. So in the, in the 90s and 2000s, there was really a lot of rebuilding the old houses or taking them down and, and replacing them with some kind of skyscraper-like buildings or whatever, or parking lots or everything. These times for me were, of course, special, not seen of, oh, the 80s, because I didn't realize <laughs> back then which uh, a part in the history the 80s will have when I started making music. For me, it was normal and uh, no other... I didn't know any other surrounding like other cities or on or, or how is it making music on the countryside also for me I, I grew up there and I, I I came into the scene and started making music and going to concerts and stuff and I, I just enjoyed it so much for me it was always the dream my life is, is making music and going to concerts and nothing else <laughs> so it, it took long but uh Suddenly, I'm in the music biz professionally. <laughs> but um, at the time, I, I went to concerts minimum three days a week, if not more, four or five days. So only Monday, Tuesday, maybe Wednesday, staying at home <laughs> in the evening <laughs> from Thursday on going to concerts. And uh, I saw so many bands, so many. I wish I was, uh, would have noticed it all. You know? But I was a bit too late and, and too young for experiencing uh, David Bowie and Iggy Pop in Berlin or something like this. They're, they're, for this, I'm just too young. So um, the 80s, I haven't also seen Einstürzen Neubauten or Malaria or these bands. But um, because I was more into the electronic music at that time, and I saw Tangerine Dream, of course, and in bands like this, but um, not the cool underground new wave sound and punk sound. I, I realized in the end of 80s, I was more into this underground rock thing. And then it was quite a bit late for, for having the, the very important people on stage to see. So it was some kind of the, the rest of the 80s I saw. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a cool time, especially before the, the wall came down in West Berlin. Sounds a bit stupid because I'm happy about the wall came down, of course. But uh, at that time, pre-November 89, it was like a, like a big village. Everyone knew the other peoples around because it was a, a closed scene. There was a wall around it and for sure there were tourists and, and, and foreign people also uh, in this in the scene. But um, it was not a big changing scene. So it was always the same bunch of people and, and that was so familiar. And when you had a, a complete uh, knockout and were lying on the street somewhere overnight and uh, you woke up in the morning you still had your your keys and your money and your your passport and everything with you and even your beer is still there <laughs> so it was so peaceful yeah <laughs> and uh, that changed a lot uh, now you must really keep your stuff together because people are stealing and stealing instruments and and, and stuff like this also sometimes yeah. Berlin has definitely changed quite a bit, I imagine. And certainly you sort of alluded to 
a process that has occurred in, in Chicago where I live in a lot of other cities where it's become sort of gentrified or people with money have kind of moved into places where they've, you know, been able to buy something for cheap and mm-hmm. uh, build a home or build a property that they can invest in. And then over time it sort of changes the, the value of the area. And then in turn, that changes the people that hang out there or live there uh, over time. And so I, I imagine that had an impact on on the music scene in Berlin that you were sort of able to witness. Yeah, maybe. I must say that was not really a, a big changing factor before the war came down because Kreuzberg was really bad and no one wanted to live there. And it not really changed because the, the money was not really there. And no one was investing a lot in, into a old fucked up building surrounded by the wall in, a, in an area where you don't know political, not really sure what will happen in the next years and so on. So it, it was like um, standing still in the evolution for some years. And um, just the people were, were more experienced or whatever. And, and it, it became a bit more normal than that uh, punks and freaks hanging around somewhere compared to the 60s or early 70s or so, but not so much changed in, in that decade, I would say. But then in the late 80s, when the wall came down and the, the people came in, <laughs> you know, it was like a flood coming from all sides. And suddenly it was, everything was busy, people everywhere, uh, completely unsure situation. How will, will it go on? And so there were some some spontaneous spots everywhere in, in West Berlin and in East Berlin, especially in East Berlin at that time, where spontaneous things happened and, and cafes opened without any electricity and or in a, in a ruined house, hard to find just by, by um, mouth propaganda or something. And you can only get one drink there and there are only candles on the tables and it was dark, no music and stuff like this. It was weird. It was very interesting. And and there suddenly after, after a few years of overwhelmed uh, people, very nice things started to happen in the, especially in the East Berlin parts with um, really freaky concert rooms like Im Eimer or Super Molly or Tacheles, Café Zapata, fantastic. It's all gone now. Super Molly is still existing, I guess. Most of the clubs we played with Liquid Visions in the, in the late 90s, early 2000s are, are closed in the meantime. Yeah? So there was in the, in the center of the city was a huge gentrification going on. And, and most of the freaky houses are gone now. And that's really sad too. So for me, when I, when I go to Berlin, uh, I'm, I'm sad sometimes when I see what's happened to all the places I loved and where I freaked out a lot time that's always going on and things are changing. You know? How did you sort of find uh, Tangerine Dream and uh, sort of the psychedelic and, and kraut music or Cosmic, I should say, excuse me. For, for electronic music, it was um, the radio, actually. I was listening to radio when I was eight or nine or so. Before school, I always heard uh, the news and a bit of a radio program. And um, they always had, for for a month or something, they always played the same song before the 7 o'clock news. And it was, for, for a while, it was Radioactivity by Kraftwerk. And I heard it and was instantly a fan of it. And then they had a Vangelis theme, I don't know, from the China album later. And But earlier it was, what was the hell? I don't know. 
they played some electronic music from time to time. And then I, I found a, a radio show once a week, half an hour, only one LP side by, I don't know, Kraftwerk, Tangerine Dream, Kitaro, Klaus Schulz, all these electronic acts. And I always recorded it on tape. And I, I was, when I was 10 or so, I was already a Tangerine Dream fan and Klaus Schulz fan and stuff like this. And a classmate was also into this music and, and brought some new music from time to time, Mike Oldfield or OMD or I don't know. No, OMD was later. I don't know. All this stuff, Pink Floyd. And yeah, when I was 10, I, I got a Pink Floyd tape also, and that was influencing me a lot. And then when I, when I was already playing live with electronic music, I went out from, from my uh, learning shit and worked in a film company. And there I met, I met a, a guy who was record collector with thousands of records and mainly late 60s psychedelic rock. And he influenced me really a lot. <laughs> mm -hmm. And um, I was at his place sometimes and we were listening to music. We, we went to concerts to Man, Hawkwind, I don't know, all these bands, uh, Wishbone Ash also, Our Love and Brian Orga and all this stuff. And that was in the, in the early 90s. I only heard late 60s music, maybe some early 70s too. <laughs> I was very much into this stuff. And how did you sort of turn into trusting like more contemporary music? Because regardless of what you sort of produce on your own and where the sort of inspiration comes from for that, you at a certain point had to have made a transition because you still work with music that's made contemporary with, with sort of different experiences. So I'm kind of curious as to that journey of going from liking things and having an admiration for music from a very specific period to then sort of gaining trust in music that's more contemporary. Interesting question. For me, the, the main point or the first was, um, I must say when I, when I discovered all this N60 stuff, I stopped making music by myself. I, I was done with electronic music and had no, no further interest. The, the keyboards were stored at a friend's place where had more space. And I was just collecting records and listening to music. And then a friend of mine showed me other way out of Sundial, the debut album of Sundial in 91, I guess. And I heard it and was fan. And then he surprised me and said, that's a, current band they they play now it's a this year's release or last year's release and i was blown away and thought man it's possible you can do this yeah and then i i um i discovered Bebis front nick solomon's uh, project very nice and saw them live also and then i saw hawkwind and and then suddenly i thought okay i must have a bass i want to play bass now and then I bought a bass and there was one, one guy looking out for musicians for a late 60s style psychedelic rock band. And I was calling him and said, oh, I have a bass. I want to play bass. And he said, oh, I have a guitar. I play guitar. So we met and played and I had no idea of playing bass. He showed me something and we jammed with this guitar amp with two inputs, bass and guitar. And it was feeling home. It was so nice. And uh, then we decided we search for more people and then we found that Liquid Visions, yeah, made a lot of music. <laughs> mm -hmm. Several albums and 10 years of constant playing. 
also like kind of throughout that time, you know, you were able to continue to indulge some of your interest in, in electronic music. It started after some years with, uh, with liquid visions after playing bass mainly that I, um, I don't know what it was. Maybe I moved to a new place and had space for setting up my keyboards again. And then I started to make some more crowd rock kind of electronic music, more band sounding music, not so electronic sounding electronic music I did in the, in the past and uh, tried to make a mix of crowd and electronic and rock music by my own at home, which not worked very well in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it was around uh, 97 when we started Zone 6. We made uh, some band recordings in a rehearsal room with guitar, bass and drums, three people. Hans-Peter, this guy from Liquid Visions, I told, uh, and the Liquid Visions drummer, Klaus and me, we were improvising one evening in a rehearsal room. And at home, I took the 8-track cassette. Uh, I recorded it on 8-track, on compact cassette 8-track. And uh, then I took the best parts and, and mixed them and um, added synthesizers a lot and other stuff on the A-track and in the mixing uh, pro process. And so the first Zone 6 album was born within one week. It worked so well for my taste that I um, got new interest in synthesizers and electronic music. So from there on, I, I started making more electronic music again. So it was end of the of the nineties also. Mm -hmm. So uh, it was maybe seven years. I did not make really electronic music, but then I started again. Mm -hmm. And uh, on my first solo album, Dreamer, you hear some more electronic influenced things and some more rock oriented things already. <laughs> it was the the album with uh, with all of my influences together. Some world music influences with the sitar and with the snake charmer flute and stuff like this. Yeah, it turned out so so good and so people loved it. I sold or Nazoni Records already sold thousand copies of this vinyl. That was really um, pushing me to go on with this project, with my solo project, and, and do more. And, and now it's I make so much <laughs> mm -hmm. years in the past to make a new album, and in the meantime, it takes some months. <laughs> It is pretty incredible to sort of see the overlap over time of, you know, where for for you, your interests, you know, begin in one place. And then over time, you kind of you begin to incorporate all these other influences that you pick up over time or inspirations over time. Electric Moon also does a pretty good job of cataloging and putting these things together. And a lot of the uh, Electric Moon recordings that we're able to get are recorded live. We've talked a little bit about the importance and the sort of experience of what it's like playing music live in particular, the kind of music of the improvisational nature that's to your taste. And you've recently added another guitarist uh, to Electric Moon for occasions live. Uh, what kind of possibilities does adding uh, Joe Muff uh, to the lineup uh, offer and adding someone in that fold? The, the main reason was that it's um, for me with my private mind fuck who's going on <laughs> or oh, personal um, stress in my head due to this uh, job and all the work and, and yeah, a lot of stuff to do in the last 10 years. I, I started becoming a bit uh, afraid going on stage uh, as the only lead instrumentalist 
who's also not a really uh, passionate guitar player. So I'm I'm more from the keyboards and I use effects a lot to to make uh, my kind of uh, wall of sounds. But I'm I'm not a really good guitar player. So for me, it was always a bit stressy, or not always, but sometimes a bit stressy, especially on in, in front of many people to deliver a good concert. And after having instant success in the scene, there was some kind of a pressure going on in myself, just in me. No one was making pressure, but I, I, I did it for myself. And after years, I, I offered from time to time that it would be great to have an organ player or a second guitar player in the band, just that I can also do some kind of stupid rhythm guitar for a while and someone else can take the lead. Or just when two people do a little bit, it's much more interesting as when one guy is doing a little bit, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. So I was just uh, hoping that there's uh, some person who can fill the sound a bit more and that I can relax more on stage. And now we are at the point, I, I saw it 10 days ago in, in Vienna, that we really work together. Even we haven't the chance of having more than two rehearsals, I guess, two evenings of rehearsals and two concerts. And uh, now we are at the point that I can say it's amazing and fitting very well. And um, I guess it's a little step forward also for Electric Moon to have this more fluid sound. I don't know how to, to tell, but it's always going on something. It's And then I can start playing mantric things or Joe can play mantric things for the, for the trance and the other one can do some stuff on top. And um, that's really nice and, and brings much fun and, and takes pressure away a lot. So for me, it's a good decision. Absolutely. I think, you know, environment is really important. And, you know, one of my best live music experiences was actually seeing Electric Moon in a planetarium in Bauckham. And apart from the crazy experience of getting there after an electric storm and all the stuff Whoa. that happened that you I think it was in 2018, you may, uh, you may remember, uh, I was probably not the only person that had issues getting, getting uh, there. Yeah, right. There was this, uh, storm and many train, uh, uh, tracks were destroyed or trees were lying on the, on the tracks or whatever. And, and, not many trains were going, I guess, and many people hadn't the chance to reach Bochum. Yeah. So my wife and I had a pretty incredible experience seeing Electric Moon in Bochum in 2018. Uh, we drove across from Berlin five or six hours on the, on the Autobahn, and wow. uh, <laughs> and there had been a, an electric storm that weekend. It was a whole uh, interesting ordeal, and we probably weren't the only people uh, stressed that weekend. Uh, but we we made it, and we uh, were able to uh, see Electric Moon in a uh, planetarium, and it was a really unique setting. And you seem to have kind of a relationship with this uh, planetarium and uh, an interest in doing shows in places that aren't festivals or typical clubs. Uh, can you kind of tell us a little bit about how things started with doing shows in the planetarium? The impulse, so to say, came from the planet, planetarium itself. They, they called us or sent us a mail that they would be interested in doing a live concert because the guy who's the technical director there is um, was in Berlin on a flea market and there was someone playing Electric Moon on a turntable and uh, he liked it and bought the record and uh, got in touch with us perfectly. 
and I asked them, what a stupid question. Yeah, we said, yes, of course. And so we started in, I don't know, 2015 or so. I don't know. And had uh, announced the show and it was sold out quickly. And then we played it and was a huge interest and in going on every year since then we made it possible. And after two years, we decided to play two shows, two days uh, on a weekend and they sell out also. <laughs> it was really nice. Yeah, it was, uh, I, I was, I'm always extremely nervous uh, before these concerts because it's so, so quiet inside and so, so dark. It's really hard to play in the dark. And um, yeah, but it's a fa fantastic experience. I, I will never forget. It's, it's so cool. And then the planet in 2019, the planetarium was rebuilt. So there was no chance to play. And in 2020 was the pandemic shit going on. And uh, I think the um, renovation took longer as expected due to the COVID shit. We haven't played since then, but uh, we must check out if we can play this year again. Would be so nice. <laughs> uh, next year, I mean, this year is too late and no one knows if it's going on or not or how or stupid situation at the moment. I hope we can play there again. It is like a, a really awesome setting to see that kind of music with the with the projections and also kind of like how you can orient yourself as a as a listener to to be able to lean back. Maybe I saw a couple people with their eyes closed enjoying themselves. It seemed like a like a really uh, <laughs> the seats were very comfortable. It was a, a great uh, yeah. a great experience for a lot of people. Definitely a little different from being in an in an outdoor uh, outdoor setting. Yeah, of course. It's very intimate, finally, because when you when you just whistle to your next guy, everyone can hear it. Yeah, when you talk very silent in one corner and in, in the opposite corner, you can still hear everything. And the the sound is a bit weird inside, so we decided to play more spacey and not so fast stuff. But as you know, in improvisation, everything can happen. <laughs> mm -hmm. So it happened. <laughs> And it was very nice. Uh, I also took some keyboards there and made some some even more spacey sounds. It was always a nice experience. David, it's been a, a pleasure having you on the show. Do you have any sort of uh, parting thoughts for, for our listeners or for folks tuned in? That's always a bit weird with so many bands and, and projects with the, with the label and, and stuff going on to, to pick out uh, a special thing to, to tell. So I'm, I'm, I don't know really what to say. <laughs> you're welcome to also give, you. uh, you're also welcome to give sagely words of advice if you'd like to. Yeah. I, I thank you so much for, for interviewing me and, and, and spreading our, our music to the people. It's very nice. I hope the people are not overwhelmed by the immense output of all these bands and, um, especially Electric Moon <laughs> with all the live albums and stuff. But they are all unique because we, we always play different stuff and every concert is a unique experience and some turn out so well and, and are recorded at the same time. From time to time, we do live records. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I just hope that the music scene will survive and uh, pandemic shit and uh, everything will come back to normal a bit at least and um, music will stay forever, of course. <laughs> and I hope it's it will be possible for everyone who wants to do it. Uh, Absolutely. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure, Dave. Thank you so much.